culture. 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 Equality, equity, and justice. Mm -hmm. Religion as culture. It's hard to define. Belonging. I would get passed over. Conflict. Conversation. You have to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Celebrate differences. Compromise. Community. Cooperation. Culture. Mm -hmm. Culture and belonging. Welcome to the Culture and Belonging podcast from Troy University and the Office of Institutional Research, Planning, and Effectiveness. I'm Rich Leday. And I'm Wendy Broyles. We spend a lot of time talking about equality, and with good reason. But what can institutions of higher learning do to accommodate students with differing needs? Today, we'll talk about how we can achieve not just equality, but equity in the classroom and beyond. Our guest is Becky Helms, Academic Advisor and Disability Services Specialist at Troy University's Dothan Campus. Becky, thank you so much for joining us on Culture and Belonging. What sort of accommodations are students generally in need of? The main ones are like extended test time if they have like a learning disability or, you know, maybe they're diagnosed with ADHD and they need that extra time to be able to focus on the test questions, read them thoroughly. There's also um, extended uh, time on assignments that we sparingly use, but, you know, if there's a flare-up in their disability and they've done their whole project up to Saturday and they just get thrown off, we allow for up to three days. And that's a big one. Sometimes in the actual classroom, because, you know, the extended time could be online or on campus. But in the uh, classroom, if we have somebody that has back issues, we can offer better chairs because some of our classrooms don't have the best chairs. So we can ha- offer high back chairs for them or um, offer breaks so they can go. They need to use the restroom or just have some quiet time to decompress if something has kind of triggered them or stressed them out. But, yeah, there's plenty. There's so many types of accommodations we can offer. And in the interest of full disclosure, um, I'm one of those students who benefited from the Americans with Disabilities Act. I needed extra time to take my exams. I found out I had ADHD as an adult. And for many years, I didn't accept any accommodations. And that was probably a response due to my cultural environment you know, I, I don't need any help kind of attitude. But as it turns out, I did. And it wasn't until graduate school that I actually used these accommodations. I needed extra time to take my comprehensive exams as a PhD student. So I'm a beneficiary of the Americans with Disabilities Act. And it's only because of people on campus, not Troy's campus, but people who work in higher ed, like Becky, who your work impacts people's lives in an intimate way. You know, I, I, I myself am disabled. I'm in a wheelchair and, you know, I tried to get through college without using any accommodations or I had self-made stuff. Like I had my own desk that my dad made out of PVC piping and a wood board. And I would just have that in the classroom. But similar to you, Rich, I didn't use accommodations till I did my master's comp exams. Wow. And so you know, and I could have, I could have done so many more things. And I think as an employee recently, I asked for accommodations to adjust my hours. And I did that just like in the fall last year, but I've been working in this job for six years. 
And I just, I asked myself, I'm like, why did I wait so long? Mm -hmm. But I think it's just a lot of people just have that, well, let's try to tough it out or let's just try to get through it. I think anybody with a disability should, you know, ask for things that will help them make things easier or at least make it a level playing field. Well, there's some disabilities that are visible. Mm -hmm. Things like, you know, back problems or learning disabilities. Those are not visible. You handle that. Your office handles that so that the student doesn't have to go to the professor. Yeah. You know, and maybe divulge some personal details. And I think that's, you know, that's why I like to draw the distinction between what the institution or the organization, how does the building handle disabilities versus how, uh, you know, the disabilities handled in the learning environment. I think that's that's an important distinction to make when having that conversation because it's ultimately up to the the individual to come to you, you know. But there's there there are laws. I mean, the Americans with Disabilities Act affords people with disability accommodations so they can perform their jobs and essentially on a level playing field. And it might require a different desk, but the organization that we work for has to abide by this act and has to give people certain accommodations so they can perform their job. And when you see a disability, that's a lot different than just knowing a person has a learning disability, for example. And I mean, I don't need to know what it is exactly, but I do need to, I think, you know, in my role as a professor, I have to be cognizant of the fact that not all students are going to learn equally in the first place, but some students have disabilities that prevent them from, or, or, you know, can prevent them from learning in the first place. And there can be some expense on the side of the institution to, to meet the needs, but if the student doesn't advocate for themselves or speak with someone who can help them advocate for themselves, then they'll never be able to bridge some of those challenges. Right. Any request for accommodation is a process. Mm -hmm. The ADA law states it shouldn't be like an undue burden on either side. Like, for example, I shouldn't ask a student to go get documentation that may cost them $400. I should work with them because that's an undue burden. But also on the institution side, you know, they shouldn't ask for a rainbow bridge to be built from one building to another, you know, because that's can't be done. And so, you know, both sides, it has to be fair, but there also has to be some kind of alternative Mm -hmm. provided in that process. But I mean, it can take time. I mean, I have students that come in and divulge to me what their disability is, and I tell them the process, and they don't get all the documentation back to me for like two or three months, Mm. just because sometimes it could take forever to get a doctor's appointment or to nag the doctor to get facts over information. I mean, on my end, I try to make it as fair and easy as possible. And one example I'm thinking of is like a sign language interpreter mm-hmm. for a um, deaf student. Right. And th- there are other options, but I mean, that interpreter is expensive. Right. But that's the best, the but, best solution mm-hmm. for the student. That is the best one, but there's also, you know, an alternative to that Right, would be uh, captioning where someone is listening, like through Zoom mm-hmm. or whatever on the student's device and is typing out what's being said. So it's like live captions. Yeah. So we've done that in the past where we've paid for captioning 
we've also done it where it just they needed the signing because mm -hmm. it was maybe a discussion heavy class and the captioner couldn't pick up on everything right. so you know it just depends on the nature of the class and the nature of their disability and the key is reasonable reasonable accommodations and i i do like your explanation of this it's it, it's got to be reasonable from both sides mm -hmm. you know so there has to be a willingness on the part of the organization to work with the student and, and we get that right but also there is still a burden placed on the student or the employee to you have to advocate for yourself right. to a great extent especially for younger students i believe there's still a stigma attached you know and even though society has gotten a little better I think that stigma is difficult to overcome for younger students who may not have a lot of experience advocating for themselves, you know. But at the same time, now that I'm thinking a little bit more about this, also older students who've come up in an environment where, you know, these things aren't talked about or you just deal with it or tough it out, you know. So I do think that it's important not just to have this conversation but also to help educate others who don't have disabilities because you know there are people with disabilities all around us because mm -hmm. some of them are not visible right i'm a big proponent of self-advocacy i think everybody should do that on about you know anything not just disability related but the students we see like say young younger students they come from k-12 through where there is a very structured process and the parents are involved and the, there's counselors, there's a lot of people involved that get them set up and then they transition to higher ed where they may not be able to receive the same exact accommodations they received like in high school. One accommodation that I ran into that I had to tell the student we couldn't do is because I think it was like when they graded a multiple choice test, like grade the top two answers that you think are correct. And like K through 12, there's different procedures, different laws that will allow that. But in higher ed, we still have to keep up the academic integrity. Mm -hmm. And so that would not be approved in higher ed. So that, there's a big difference transitioning from K through 12 to higher ed. And then on the, on the end of where you graduate and then you move into your career, there's even of a less structured process of requesting accommodation that the, on the employee side. So I just, I think we go from like really structured to not as structured. So how, how does all of this relate to understanding culture and, and finding where you belong? Well, I mean, I think it's a lot about just, um, you know, culture kind of makes everybody unique. Like the four of us sitting here, we all have different cultures, different ways we belong. And I think disability can be one of those. But, you know, I think me as a woman, gender can be one of those. Mm -hmm. Spirituality, um, I mean, there's just so much intersection that, you know, that makes us unique. It's not just A, B, C, or D. It's like A and B or A and C, you know, so it makes us all different. And we've, we've, talked, about, we've talked about that a little bit before in, in some, other sh some of the other shows, but there's cultures you just described, these characteristics we have, you know. Uh, religion and race and gender, but then there's also the culture at a, at a micro level. You know, there's the culture that's established here at Troy University. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a culture of 
how we do things here on the Dothan campus, you know. So, you know, and what I heard you say earlier, I kind of want to go back to this, the idea of, you know, there being a different approach to disabilities in K through 12, where it's more structured. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but if, you know, if things are unstructured as you see it here in higher ed, it seems like there's an even more important place for empathy and understanding because things are unstructured and their guidelines might not be so clear right. here in higher ed. I mean, you know, as Troy University is trying to accommodate not only employees, but also training and educating employees to address student needs. Yeah. That's, that's taken this conversation, I think, into, you know, that's the nuance that we have to that, that we have to kind of draw out in this conversation, you know, because Troy University has responsibility not only to employees, but also to get those employees smart on how to address student needs. And it's not unique to Troy University, no, right? That's not higher at all. education across the country. Exactly. And one of the things that I really remember for the, the classes I have instructed, um, you can't call out a student for having accommodations. Like that has to be like a private conversation. You don't want to point it out, make a big deal about it. It needs to be very subtle. And it, it can be frustrating when you know, for example, if someone is in a wheelchair, like they may have to go a longer way to class than the average student right. and you know if they're late to class like how do you handle that how do, like I know it took longer to get here than anybody else right. or if the, the elevator is out like can we move class to a lower floor is there right. something we can do like I have canceled class because a student couldn't get there right I, I mean I think it's a lot about empathy you know it's yeah. a lot about just kind of understanding their journey, like things they have to do that's different than other students and trying to just make sure as a whole, as an instructor, that you're accounting for everybody but not singling out that one person. Mm -hmm. So I mean, if the person in the wheelchair shows up late, you're not like, well, you're late, blah, blah, blah. Right. You know, but you're yeah. also not pointing them out like, oh, well, I know it took you longer. You know, that's right. also bad, um, even though you're trying to be nice, you know, that's still not the best way to handle it. So, I mean, yeah, I think when it comes to disability and culture, I think everybody, you know, I think everybody can learn more when it comes to that, including myself, because, I mean, I'm physically disabled, but I may not know exactly what it's like for a diabetic and what they go through, you know. So, I mean, every, I think we all can learn more. And you have to want to learn more. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's, that's a point that I keep trying to make, and I hope I'm making it is that you have to want to understand another person's condition. And I think, you know, from, from the faculty member's perspective, you know, we, we all want to do best for our students. We're not trying to single anyone out. But I think we often do, in, inadvertently even, you know. And it's not to say that there isn't or doesn't need to be a standard. However, we need to make reasonable accommodations for people who may have who may have impairments that prevent them from they shouldn't have people shouldn't have to people with disabilities should not have to go above and beyond and do more work than their peers are having to do 
above and beyond what you already have to do because you have a disability, right. you know, but both the, you know, the, the educators and the institution that we're educating through has to, has to be, has to be in a position to accept that and understand it and want to do something about it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, it's not, I think some people can view disability as like, oh, they're getting the easy way out, but you know, it's, it's all about quality. Like the accommodations are meant to make it equal, not easier. And you know, accommodations are there so it's not harder, but right. it's supposed to make it, you know, equal. It's supposed to give access basically. Yeah. You know, it's, and when it comes, like there's a difference between access and success. So, I mean, we're not going above and beyond to give this person, you know, like pick the top two multiple choice answers you know, because that's more success and that's more giving them a leg up like above everybody else, but it's more about access. Well, you know, if, you know, there's multiple choice questions and, you know, it may be harder to see, make it bigger font because that means there it's accessible, there's access. I'm thinking first uh, wheelchair ramps, right? And that that is something, what do you do when you get to a new building and there's no ramp? Now you can't get in. You know, so the institution has failed. Well, or even like colorblindness, that that's a thing. Like if, if there's contrast on the, this is a true story. Like I had a, a schedule for a class one time and I thought it was really sharp. I had like a yellow highlight for test days mm-hmm. and a blue highlight for when we had group lectures. That didn't help the student who told me he was colorblind. You know, like he's like, it's just a mess. Oh, I'm sorry. I won't ever use two different color highlights again. So I learned something. But another part of it is just like not wanting to tiptoe around issues. Like if somebody is willing to step up and advocate for themselves, like I need this help. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to help you. Like, what what can we do? Who can we go talk to? Everybody needs to know who the ADA person is on their campus. You got to make friends with that person. You need to be willing to call and say, hey, Becky, I've got this student. I don't know if they've come to see you yet, but this is what I'm hearing from the student. I'm going to tell them to come see you. Maybe we can get some headway in, in getting this kid some some help adult, whatever, you know, the the students, (laughs) Yeah. sometimes they're not advocating for themselves. But if as an instructor or a staff member, you're working with a student that is displaying some kind of behavior or concern, like you can tell them, look, you might want to go talk to so-and-so. Well, because as a professor, um, I mean, I, I know that belonging matters in the classroom. You have to not just want to be there, but if you're, not, you're going to have a hard time learning if you don't feel like you belong there. Right. You know, and I think in particular, a lot of our younger students probably already have some of that feeling in the first place. I mean, college is, is new, scary, just coming out of high school, you know. Parents aren't there to tell you what to do, but now you have professors who are demanding things of you, you know. So advocating for yourself, you know, you know, students have to take that step and advocate for themselves or professors won't know. Because if I just take the student's word for it, well, then I might be creating a, a situation of double standards in the classroom, you know. But it's the employee in Becky's position whose job it is to kind of 
make sure the playing field's level and make sure professors aren't demonstrating some form of bias in the classroom. Just, oh, so-and-so said they have ADHD. I, be I believe them. It's not that I don't believe you, but the Americans with Disabilities Act, as it's applied, permits someone in Becky's position to verify that there is indeed a situation. So, you know, and, and then communicate to the professor Right. And I think that's a necessary I mean, that's the necessary step in trying to help that student feel like they belong, you know. But again, we come back to the institution has to make make it possible. But the student ultimately has to be their own. They have to take the first step yeah. and be an advocate. And I know in my situation that's I failed to do that for years and years and years. It sounds like you have a similar experience, Becky, you know, but that student may not even know, you know? So I think that's why, that's why it's important that we're having this conversation because essentially before we can start training people on how to do this, on how to, you know, spot ADHD in the classroom or other behavioral problems, before we can train people, there needs to be, or there, be, there, there should be some baseline of education, yeah. you know? And I think this conversation can serve as some of that educational knowledge that we need before we take the next step and start training. Well, and here's a question. We have students at our institution, I'm sure other institutions are the same way, who are not from the United States of America. Mm -hmm. Do they qualify for the Americans with Disabilities Act? They do. Uh, they do. If they could get documentation, you know, they do. Because, I mean, the ADA Act is not just like for you know, citizens, like it's for anybody that's over here. I mean, if we have an international student, you know, they're over here under a visa or whatever to get education from us. So yeah, they 100% qualify. I mean, they have to go through all the same steps, right. you know, of getting the documentation. Now, I've never had the experience of receiving maybe a letter from their home country. Like, I, that would be a new experience. But, you know, I mean they would have to go get documentation if they don't already have it, you know, and go through all the same steps as anybody else. But yeah, and I mean, you know, when you think of like a student, a brand new student, like here for the first time, a lot of students, you know, they'll tell me they're nervous. Like, I'll be like, you know, are you excited about starting at Troy? Well, I'm nervous. And I'm like, you know, me, I'm just like, well, why are you nervous? It's yeah. Troy. Yeah. But you know, you have to look at it through <laughs> their eyes. And, you know, they're coming to college for the first time and they're meeting all these new people and they're getting all this information. They're like deer in headlights. But I think if you're just warm and welcoming and, you know, you just keep repeating the same things that can help them because they may not, you know, it may not sink in the first time, yeah. the first meeting because they're just information overload. But if you keep saying, okay, well, you know, if, you know, you need any success, anything for success like the writing center or counseling center or, you know, disability accommodations. And I just list it out because, I mean, I don't ask, hey, do you have a disability? Right. You know, can't do that. But I can list out things that could help them succeed. And, hey, if they think, okay, well, disability, I have a disability, that may prompt them to, like, open up to me about it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I just, I don't know, I just try to, you know, that sense of belonging, I try to welcome them and be warm. And I think if an instructor is also doing the same thing, they're receiving all this kindness and warmness from 
multiple sides, and I think they'll feel like they're belonging, and they'll feel, you know, welcome to Troy, and that Troy is a safe space. Yeah. And there may be some stigma that comes from the other country. Right. That, you know, we, we don't talk about these things, or yeah. you just tough it out, right? Different cultures, different countries have stigma for certain about disability, just because it's kind of similar to that, like, military culture, like, you know, you just get through it, and sickness means that you're not succeeding Mm -hmm. and disability falls under that sickness category in some cultures and it's frowned upon or it's not as open and it's also up to us as you know employees at this university to kind of promote this belonging aspect and to work on welcoming people because we have to take these big big macro ideas about culture and at the end of the day try to figure out how to work together to, to make this institution function, you know? So it's, it's still up to us to, even though we have an international professor, you know, English may not be your first language, or, you know, you may, the, the racial differences, religious differences, on and on, but it, what we're trying to do is promote some, a higher level of intercultural competency, mm-hmm. despite all these differences, to include differences that result from disability, and take those differences and, and find some common ground here in the workplace f- for the mis- to complete the mission, of the, to, to, to do the school's mission, you know, to educate our students. And if we're going to be an international university, which we are, we need to think about these countrywide differences in addition to, you know, thinking about, you know, race and gender and, you know, religion. Uh, aspects of ideology that that might come into play. I want to ask you, Becky, what are we doing right as an organization and what can we do better as an organization to try to bridge the gap between disabled persons and non-disabled persons? And this might apply to just general public too. Yeah, in general. I think trying not to view disability as a disadvantage, like in public, trying to, you know, consider more of the hidden disabilities because there's more of that. Thankfully, you know, mental health stigma has gone down. Mm -hmm. And the majority of students that I have, um, the majority of them are mental health related disabilities, Um, you know, less of the physical or the learning disability, it's actually more mental health related. So I think not, I think viewing, you know, mental health as a disability. You don't, when you think of anxiety, depression, a lot of people think of that as a weakness, Mm -hmm. but we're all born, you know, with different brains. And, you know, some person, you know, some persons may have like bipolar disorder. And I mean, that's, that's a chemical imbalance. Like they can't control that. But I don't think people that aren't bipolar understand that. And so I think just more education, what is, you know, mental health, what is a disability, understanding that, you know, accommodations are not to make it easier. And, you know, I feel like Troy does that well in accepting, you know, like every time I send out accommodation letters, every professor is like, 
you know, copies me and the students as let me know how we can help. You know, it's just very nice and inviting. Um, but, you know, I think just being more educated, making sure you're not maybe having biased thoughts. Like, you know, if an instructor has that and they see the student show up and you can't see anything visibly wrong, just try to avoid having any negative thoughts about that. Like, uh, automatically assume, okay, well, it's a hidden disability. And, you know, just how can I support them? Just try to always be positive about it. Um, and, you know, just understand that everybody's different. You know, every one of us is different. Every one of us has a different culture, a different belonging, um, different backgrounds. And just to be empathetic, I think empathy is the biggest skill that us humans should have. We all have different brains. Yeah. You heard it here. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. You just said something that was, that struck me as, I mean, just a key takeaway for me is that, you know, the accommodation isn't to make it easier. And I believe you said this earlier, the accommodation's not to make it easier. It's, it's, to, it's to promote access. And I think that's a solid takeaway. Our guest for this episode of Culture and Belonging has been Becky Helms, Academic Advisor and Disability Services Specialist at Troy University's Dothan Campus. We hope that you'll subscribe to the Culture and Belonging podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And get involved by tweeting us at BelongingPod. Give us your ideas on what cultural topics we should cover next. Your idea just might end up on the show. Culture and Belonging is produced by Troy University in the studios of Troy Public Radio by Austin Toy and Joey Hudson with help from Kyle Gassett. So until next time, I'm Wendy Broyles. And I'm Rich Lede, and this is Culture and Belonging. <laughs>